Welcome to this edition of the Cherry Beckert Tax Beat Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the new provisions in the last legislation passed called Secure 2.0. It deals with a lot of retirement plan provisions. Uh, it was included in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. Um, this Secure 2.0 Act has been floating around for quite some time, so we're glad to see it passed. All right, so joining today's conversation is Deb Walker, director of our firm's uh, tax benefits and compensation practice. All right, Deb, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. All right. And also, as always, Miss Sarah McGregor from Greenville, South Carolina. Sarah, how's life treating you? Hi, Brooks. Life is good. Starting up a new year, and um, it's actually a little bright and sunshiny today, and not nearly as cold as it was over the holiday. So this is good. Yes, for sure. Good football weather. And uh, we were just talking. What is your prediction on tonight's Georgia? I am. Game? I'm hoping it's going to be a very close and competitive game all the way through. And uh, 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 being being an SEC fan, I got to pull for SEC to win it yeah. out again. All right. Even as a South Carolina graduate, that's very, very well, big. Well, if, of you. if you're going to have a team beat you, then you want him to at least be the one that wins the national championship. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I'm Brooks Nelson sitting in Richmond, Virginia today. All right. Secure 2.0. Uh, Secure is a one of our lovely uh, acronyms, securing a strong retirement account, something like that. Uh, 2.0, because we had a 1.0 version a couple of years ago. Um, that was, what, 2019. Uh, this law was included, as I said earlier, in the recently passed Consolidated Pro- Appropriations Act. Um, that was the act that we were hoping for more tax action. We got less tax action. So um, we did not get our R&D expense repeal. Uh, see a prior podcast on that. We didn't get a number of other extenders and other things we really wanted. Uh, we did get a conservation easement. Uh, I don't know if it's the deaf nail, but pretty close to the deaf nail in that area. And then we uh, got the Secure 2.0, which, as I said, has been um, hanging around and been pushing for enactment for, I don't know, quite some time. Seems like at least a year, year and a half, maybe even a little longer. All right. So let's jump into it. Uh, Deb, what kind of uh, additional background on this law would you like to uh, discuss and bring to our listeners' attention? Well, the only thing is you will often see retirement plan changes that make it into legislation because they are usually bipartisan changes. And in times, you can pull one side over the finish line with uh, promoting these retirement plan changes. And the retirement plan changes are almost always uh, ways to get more people to save, which I think everybody in Congress agrees more people need more savings. So with that, this law is full of more savings for additional people, not always as tax preferred, but more savings opportunities, uh, easier correction when employers have errors in their plans. Right. So and I wholeheartedly agree our society, our American society is a consumer society. And so, you know, I think this is one area 
where Congress gets it right and whether we do need to do anything we can to encourage for savings. All right. So uh, why don't you cover some of the uh, biggest provisions that in this Secure 2.0 that will cover most, if not all, employers? Okay, so one of the more controversial ones is uh, permanent part-time employees now need to be eligible for 401k contributions. So normally it would be a thousand hours of service. You have to let people into your 401k plan, make salary reduction and have them make salary reduction contributions. This law says if you've got people that have been working at least 500 hours for at least two years, then you need to let them into your 401k plan. You start counting the years after 2021. Um, but there are uh, a number of people that are wrestling with how can I uh, allow part-timers in when they've only worked 500 hours and two years and full-timers have to wait 1,000 hours. I think a lot of employers are just going to let everybody in at 500 hours, but that remains to be seen. Hey, Deb, can we just, before you go to the next one, just a quick follow-up question on that. Um, what does that mean in terms of 401k plan matches? You can still just match the full-time. There's another provision in the law that says that uh, you don't, well, it's an existing law for a K plan that you can give matches to full-timers, but not part-timers. And that will continue. I mean, I know that exists now. That will, yeah. As far as we know, that will continue to apply. So even though you're forced to let in yes. part-timers, that will not force you to allow a match, which in, in many ways substantially decreases the cost uh, to employers in this on this law. Right. All right, proceed. Right. Other highlights. <laughs> um, so other highlights, one of the revenue raisers is that um, catch-up contributions by those making over $145,000 into retirement plans are going to have to go into Roth accounts. Um, I think we need a lot of guidance on this because now you're going to treat people differently if they have a W-2 income of $145,000 versus less than that amount, um, and it'll cause some more um, coordination and administration. <clears throat> One of the other big changes is for new 401k plans where the employer has more than 10 employees and the employer has been in existence for three years, then the plan is going to require automatic enrollment, which means all employees going to work for you will be enrolled in the 401k plan with a 3% required contribution and automatic escalation which is so, increase that 3%, one per, at least 1% a year until it gets up to 10% or as high as 15, but at least to 10%. Of course, so the employee can always elect out. So Deb, let me just jump in there for half a second also. So, I mean, these automatic enroll and auto escalation and um, similar provisions have been around and very popular I mean, for at least five or 10 years. So I would say for a lot of larger plants, this is not going to be a major change. It's just codifying what was our, I mean, a pretty much, pretty much what I call a best practice out there. And um, I think one of the great nuances in this is like where, when you're signing up people, where do you put 
their money in that, you know, and um, and I think that's you know one of the interesting fiduciary issues of plans. But anyway, um, fun fun provision again, another good one. All right, so and I guess there was one other highlight on errors, correcting errors. Well, let me just go back to this mandatory participation because okay. it only applies to new plans. So if you want complete flexibility, then you want to start your plan before you've been in existence for three years. And then perhaps we can wait for guidance, but perhaps you're going to be able to avoid. And I agree with you, most large employers have automatic enrollment. Although it is a big problem because employees forget to elect out or they participate for two months and then they elect out and have small balances. So that brings us to correcting errors. In correcting errors, uh, the IRS has always had programs where you could go to the IRS and ask for relief from errors. And over time, they have expanded that to allow people to make more and more corrections without dealing with the IRS. And this law continues that by allowing corrections of lots of different errors at any time when they're discovered to be corrected um, by the small employer or to be corrected. What this does, though, is once the IRS comes in to exam, examine a plan, you can't make the corrections under this self-correction program. So it behooves the, IR, the employer to make sure they're operating their plan and just do some double checks, ask the auditors to check extra things that they would not otherwise check, have internal audit check it, um, so that these errors can be found and corrected before the plan gets examined. So... Deb, just a little follow-up question on that. So you find a a technical error in your plan. What are you required to do to cure it? So under current law, it depends on how big the error is or when you find it. If you find it within two years or, or it's insignificant, you can correct it yourself. Bring everybody back to where they would have been if the error had not been made. If you're not eligible for self, and self-correction is now being vastly expanded, we'll need to have regs to do that, but uh, the law forces con uh, IRS to expand it. So the currently, if you don't have an insignificant error or you find it more than two years after it starts, then you have to go into the IRS and pay a user fee and make the correction, bringing everybody back to where they are, and then the IRS will bless it that in a closing agreement that they will not disqualify the plan because the corrections have been made as they wanted them made. If the IRS finds the error, then you don't have either of these programs um, in place, able to correct. You have to go in through audit, what they call audit cap, and those penalties are a lot greater. That's why it behooves taxpayers to check their plans themselves before the IRS comes in. Great. Well, Deb, we talked about um, some things for large employers. Let's let's skip over and talk about plan participants, those employees or those IRA owners or otherwise. Um, the the Secure Act for 2019 raised the the age when required minimum distributions um, start, and uh, Secure 2.0 does the same thing again. 72, in 2022, you're under the old law. You have to take your required minimum distribution at age 72. 
But if you're 71, you're going to be able to postpone it until you're 73 years old. And then eventually in 2032, the rule changes so you can postpone required minimum distributions until age 75. But once so once you've is, started once you've started uh, your RMD, you're you're stuck with it. So whatever whatever age phase out of, or phase in these rules will have. Um, once you're in, you're in. That's correct. And everybody that's age 72 in 2022 or younger is in. So for those age 72 that were hoping there'd be a delay, the delay didn't come for you for age 72 if you turned 72 in 2022. In fact, if this law had passed a year earlier, you would have had a delay, but they changed the effective date because the law didn't pass yeah. last year. Yeah, it looks like many of uh, many of the provisions in this law don't take effect till 2024 or even later in in some cases. Right. Um, they expanded also. Uh, didn't they make some changes to the catch-up contributions for uh, those in their in their 60s? Uh, yes, for people aged 61 uh, through 63, so it's four years of catch-up contributions. You can make up to $10,000 of a catch-up contribution. Now, remember, catch-up contributions are also going to have to be Roth contributions for those that make over $145,000 um, in a W-2 income. Right. And then the IRA. I want to go back, though. And yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, and then the IRA catch-up contributions, which have been stuck at, what, $1,000 forever are uh, finally going to get indexed for inflation? Yes, yes. The IRA catch-up is now indexed. It hasn't been indexed for, what, 10 or 15 years, but it will be indexed beginning now. Cool. I want to go back and talk about starter plants and tax credits because that's really important for uh, small businesses. Start Because what Congress is really doing with a starter plan is they're saying, okay, we're going to – we're going to give you the ability to start a plan and you don't have to run the discrimination test for the first uh, year. What they're doing is getting people into contributing the plan to the plan. And they've made the tax credit even better because now everybody gets a tax credit when they start a 401k plan, um, assuming they have less than 100 qualifying employees. Now, if you have 50 or fewer qualifying employees, you get a better tax credit and you get a tax credit for what your employees contribute to the plan up to $1,000. So what, you're, what they're really doing is saying, look, small business, you need to start these 401k plans. You need to communicate it to your workers so that they contribute. And if they contribute, you get 100% credit up to $1,000 per employee. Essentially, the government is giving these people retirement savings, run through the 401k plan, run through the employer. But it behooves the employer to communicate that's there. Of course, that 100% credit is only the first year. Then it goes to 75. Then it goes to um, uh, to 50%, and then it goes to 20 five percent so right. this is for 100 percent yeah. credit for employer contributions made to employees earning less than a hundred thousand dollars 
during the first year of the plan. And Deb, these are income tax uh, credits and not, uh, say, uh, employment yeah. tax credits. Is that correct? Yes, these are income tax credits. Correct. Right. Cool. Hey, so Sarah, um, there was one little provision I thought was very interesting about uh, unused 529 plans. As, you know, it's a topic we have run into in our practices for the last whatever. 10, 20 years, I don't know how long 529s, they've been around for a while, but what do you do if you actually have some leftover? Um, um, so what, did, what did SECURE do for us on that? Uh, th that is that is a right. It was, there was this unusual provision that if you have uh, what I refer to as an old and cold 529 plan, uh, that you're, you're the beneficiary, the student, the daughter, the student, the, the son, uh, the cousin, whoever, has finished their education and there's no more need for this money and you don't have another uh, uh, child to roll the funds over to uh, to benefit, then the funds could be rolled into a Roth IRA uh, for the benefit of that student who was named uh, on there originally. So uh, these are after-tax contributions going into 529 plans. And now this is just a way to, to roll the, those funds over uh, into a continuing after-tax, uh, tax-deferred earnings uh, type plan. There are limits. Um, the The annual amount that can be rolled over is limited to how much you could put into a Roth IRA uh, in a particular year. And secondly, there's an overall limit, I think, of around $35,000. So, uh, and, and the plan had to have been around for, the 529 plan had to have been around for at least 15 years. So really, this is a this is a way to move those those uh, old and cold funds uh, into retirement savings for these students that you helped them with their education uh, on the front end. We'll have and to get more to, guidance on how that works, too. Yeah. And to encourage you to start these plans early, you start these plans when the kids are in, you know, preschool when the kids are born, because you want that 15 years to start running. True. Very right. true. Good point. And this is kind of the protection of what happens if my child or grandchild or whatever decides two years of college is, you know, all I want. You know, this yeah. is this is the uh, this is the solution, I would say. All right, Deb, there were also some other, you know, what I call broader financial type provisions that came into this act uh, in terms of expanding retirement plan provisions. I, I think they're very helpful uh, for a lot of employees. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, the one that my favorite by far is the student loan debt repayment. Uh, this came about because there was a big, uh, I think it was a pharmaceutical company who was frustrated because their um, young college graduates weren't participating in the 401k plan and therefore they were missing out on the match for an employer contribution. And so they got the IRS to approve a plan in which they could make a contribution to a retirement plan if the student uh, showed debt repayment. And the theory being that they showed debt repayment and they couldn't uh, fund their retirement plan. Uh, this has now been expanded, that if a student shows debt repayment, you can now make a contribution to a 401k plan for that student uh, and, and therefore help them begin to save for retirement, even though they're still in a paying off debt situation. The, um, 
The next one I would talk about is emergency savings. This one, not as enamored with, this is kind of a sidecar in the employer retirement plan where you can have up to $2,500. And you can access this $2,500 at any time. Uh, I think it's once a year, but, um, and it's really just a way to save. These are after-tax amounts, but it's a way to encourage savings and then allow people to pull that savings out. Uh, in addition, the law provides uh, disaster distributions. If your house, if your principal residence is in a disaster area, then you have can get money out of your qualified plan. You can pay it back within three years or pay the tax over three years. If you have a loan from your qualified plan and you're in a disaster area, you have favorable loan provisions in that you can get more money if you don't have a loan or if you have an existing loan, you can delay the repayment. Uh, and finally, an employer can offer de minimis financial incentives. Unfortunately, de minimis is not defined. Uh, so this I find um, it will be interesting how Congress uh, or how the IRS defines de minimis to encourage use of this provision. Yeah, well, a lot of employers have have plans where they encourage small rewards for meeting safety goals and for employees to encourage those kinds of activity. And so this may be the same thing here. Have a, you know, have a have a raffle or a gift card or a something for joining the plan and and being in there and recognizing some some small reward, I guess. But under current law and on even this change, those amounts would be taxable if they're cash or cash equivalents. Um, no matter how big they are. And and so, although you, this law just says you can do it without violating the 401k rules. Hmm. We'll have to wait on further guidance. It, it, it harks back to the days when they were just opening IRAs and you could get a free toaster for opening up yep. an IRA in a bank. Yep. All righty. I think uh, we need to go to our uh, kind of final thoughts. And um, so, Deb, you know, what are your overall comments, maybe particularly in the vein of what companies should be doing now? So I would say if you don't have a 401k plan, now is the time to do that and make sure you take advantage of the of the employer credit for the administrative costs of setting it up. And even perhaps if you're a small enough employer for the contributions you make for your employees, um, that those to me are the the biggest ones. You need to plan for part, if you employ a lot of part-time employees, you need to plan for having to include them in your plan, and think about what kind of provisions you're gonna uh, whether you're gonna, as you said, uh, allow for a match or make an employer contributions, you're not required to do that, but decide what you want to do with that. I think those would be probably the biggest. Of course, the RMD delay is great for everybody that qualifies for it, and so they should be taking advantage of the required minimum distribution delay if you're not yet 72. All right. Thank you, Deb. Sarah, what final thoughts do you have? Uh, I think the number of provisions in this bill is extraordinary, and um, it will take IRS uh, a good bit of time on top of the other bills that were passed in 2022 to get us some guidance in these areas. Um, so I think, as Deb mentioned, it's going to 
behoove companies to and employers to look at their plans and consider where they're going over this next uh, next year to be ready when they get to 2024. On my end, I am you know, struck at some of the nuances that some of these provisions are going to bring in. And so I'm looking at through the lens of a, you know, a healthy size company. You know, you're already at 50 or 100 employees and you have a 401k plan. You know, what, which of these provisions are going to be mandatory? Which ones are going to be optional? What are you going to want to do? Um, you know, and some of these, you know, we've discussed, you know, are, you know, a catch-up contribution has to be Roth for a higher level, higher paid employee going forward. And, you know, what that means if you didn't, you know, that if you didn't have a Roth feature of your plan, um, what are you talking about? you know, with your employees or your clients about Roth uh, topics in general, because I think, you know, numerous of these rules make big changes going both ways. I mean, um, you know, delay, deferring the RMD, which is a, a non-Roth provision, uh, you know, increases, you know, the benefit of a traditional IRA, but some of these other ones, catch-ups, higher catch-ups, forcing them to be Roth, now, anyway, just a lot of interesting dialogue. And I think uh, fiduciary committees for 401k plans in particular are going to be very busy over the next year uh, looking at this stuff. All right, that's a wrap on this discussion of the highlights of the SECURE 2.0 Act and its changes impacting retirement savings and plans. Thank you for listening in. Quick disclaimer that we are not providing specific tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor hopefully at Cherry Beckert, with your tax issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. Uh, This concludes today's podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.